This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we begin a series on The Lord of the Rings, starting with the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. We watch Aragorn go through his initiation to develop the character capable of carrying a kingdom. We see how beauty invites us into strength and heals us when we fall. Friendship and being childlike can prove to be more important than strength in arms or great wisdom. Also, we'd like to invite you to visit our website, menatthemovies.com backslash podcast. We list quotes and themes from the movie and ask questions to help you dig deeper into your story. Join us as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and I'm excited to welcome in, we got a new guest, uh, Jay Heck, coming to us from way out west. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Excited to be here, Paul. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, I'm I'm excited that we got to connect. Um, I'm sure we've we've connected sort of tangentially over over the Slack that we're we're both in, and uh, we've seen each other's names, I think, and uh, to actually mm-hmm. get to have a conversation about a movie that both of us love uh, is I'm really excited. I've been excited ever since um, kind of Morgan even sent out the invitation and said, "Hey, contact these guys." And I was like, oh my goodness, that's a ton of guys. I can't wait to, to kind of touch base and get to know some of, some of my brothers uh, a little bit better. Yeah, you bet. No, this is, uh, it's great having uh, conversations with like-minded uh, people. And, and it always opens my eyes to see things that uh, I can't see yet. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I, I reached out to Jay and I was like, Hey man, what, you know, what, what movies would you be interested in, in? In And he sent me the list. And one of them was the Lord of the Rings, which I was like, okay, well me thinking sort of, eh, I don't want to say big picture or, or it's almost an ulterior motive. Cause I was like, Oh, well, if we do Lord of the Rings, I can get like three episodes out of him. <laughs> so so when you you sent me the list I, so obviously you know this is i always i ask you know let's let's talk about your favorite movies some of them we've already done i think you had mentioned uh walter mitty and um warrior warrior mm-hmm. and warriors one that sort of wrecks me um even just thinking about it sometimes the end there uh, mm-hmm. and i talked about that earlier this this year with my dad so thinking of this, this one in particular, the Lord of the Rings as a series, as a trilogy. Um, so what is it about this that you're just like, oh yeah, let's do this one. There, there's quite a few reasons. I think in my personal story, I had never had any desire to watch any fantasy movies. You know, the Dark Crystal, Star Trek, those things that just, they didn't, I loved Star Wars and I couldn't have told you why as a kid, Mm. but in terms of other fantasy movies, I just wasn't attracted to them. I liked the real life stuff. And when I was out of college, I actually was surrounded by a group of people that teased me for never having read the books, The Lord of the Rings. And then the movie was about to come out (laughs) 
And these these nerds would always be talking about the Shire and all this other stuff. And I felt so out of the loop. And so they peer pressured me into reading. They, they basically dared me into reading all three books before the first movie came out. That's quite a dare because that's not it a, was that's not a quick read. No, it's not a quick read. And, you know, there's a lot of poetry and a lot of stuff in there that my wife has no problem just skipping right over, you know, so boom, five pages gone. Me, I'm such a detail oriented person when it comes to reading that I will have to read every single word and want to really think about it. So I, I, it was very challenging, but by the time the movies came around, I realized, okay, this is an epic tale. And then seeing it in, in the movie theater, it was a very emotional experience for me. So why, why did I pick this movie? I think more than any other story, when I watch the Lord of the Rings, I feel like I'm watching the story that I'm living in Mm. and more than any other movie. It actually emboldens me to be a better man, a man that I realize today I can't yet see. And it emboldened me to believe that there's a story that I'm living in that I can't see. And there will be very key times in my life where I actually feel like I need to go and watch this movie to be reminded of my intended strength and the story that I'm in, the journey that I'm on. And I think that uh, I see myself in the story and I just feel like because of the incredible cast of characters in this and the journeys that they take, almost anyone with an open heart and an open mind can look at this and find themselves in the story. Yeah. I was thinking that actually, as I was watching, especially sort of the second half after the council of Elrond and mm-hmm. the, the, the group of nine are walking through. Um, I remember, you know, Morgan talks about it and has become good soil intensive in his teachings that uh, the parable of the four soils where it's not either or, but at any point in time, there's a part of our heart that's maybe hardened that needs to be cultivated that, you know, we need, we're, we're in the process of sort of recapturing our heart to make it all good soil. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at the fellowship and I was like, you know, I think at any point we might resonate with one character more than another. I feel yeah. like Pip in many days of, <laughs> wait, we're not having second breakfast <laughs> or yeah. knocking, knocking the armor down into the well. And there are times that you feel like Aragorn or even probably Boromir. And, and um, I just thought that that was an interesting thing as I'm watching. I'm like, you know, because typically, you know, the question is, well, what character resonates most? Like what character um you know, do you see of, Oh yeah, I want to be like that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I'd say mm, over a decade ago, God actually posed that question to me Mm. uh, as a way of dreaming um, and thinking his thoughts. And he said, well, who do you most resonate with in the story? who do you most want to be actually was the question that he, that was posed to me. And I thought, well, clearly Gandalf, I mean, look at him. He's powerful. He's wise. I mean, he's got, he's got it all together. (laughs) And, um, I would say that I was not terribly familiar with, with recognizing God's voice, but he said, no, Jay, you are clearly not Gandalf. You're, um, you're Aragorn is how I see you now at the time. 
I'd only seen the movie, I think maybe once. Mm -hmm. And what I saw was Strider. I mean, I actually, it's almost like my eyes hadn't seen the full story of him. And so by, by God saying you're actually Aragorn, I remembered the whiny guy in the bar (laughs) who, who was in hiding and who was fearful. That's what I remembered. And, And by God saying that I recognized, yeah, that's actually who I feel like. I feel like there's an invitation into a person that I want to be, but I'm actually the guy in the story that I despise early in the story. And so to go back after hearing God invite me to think that way, to watch the stories again, uh, I just thought, wow, God, you know me so, so well. You know my true heart, but you also know where I am today. You've got a lot of patience with me. Uh, So there must be a story ahead that you're inviting me into. Cause I'm, I'm certainly not there at this point. Well, and it, at that moment, as you mentioned, he's in the bar there in Bree and they're at the prancing pony and he's sitting there and even, you know, Marlaman, the, the bartender, he's like, Oh yeah, he's trouble. He's a ranger. He's he, nobody. There's only one person really who sees him as he is. And that is actually Gandalf, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting little connection there. Um, but he goes through and, and I know we're skipping a lot of story. We're not really going to, I mean, it's one, it's an old book and it's sort of an older movie now, but there's just these, these, I guess these themes that resonate with us that we really want to dive into because identity is so important for us. Um, You know, we, we can't, not, not to steal from everything Morgan says, but you know, we can't live mm-hmm. above the identity that we've embraced. And if we've embraced Aragorn as the whiny, and it's interesting that you said whiny because he, when he says something in one of the clips I have, he says something and I'm like, Oh my gosh, he, he sounds so it's not a, a voice of a, of a King. It's sort of this exactly nasally whiny. It's like, we can't do this. And it doesn't exude strength. But as oh, a, I'm so with you. So with <laughs> you. I hated his voice when I watched him. I said, he looks physically like a good king, but his whiny, whiny voice. Right. Like they miscast this guy. And because we think about the Lord of the Rings as a story about Frodo. Mm-hmm. But um, this, this author that I've listened to, uh, Matthew Dix, he says that story the stories that we that resonate the most are stories about transformation and revelation. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, Frodo doesn't really change as the story goes along. He's pretty much the same character throughout the whole process. <clears throat> but as I was watching this movie, you know, and this is the foundation movie. This is the introduction movie. And I'm not going to, if you haven't read the books, we're, I'm going to re- highly recommend it because it is, it tells a much deeper story than, than the movies show. Um, not mm-hmm. that the movies aren't great, but there's, it's a different story and it's a different depth, but, and don't get me started on the Hobbit, <laughs> 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 but you do see Aragorn going from this guy who wanders, who is overlooked, who does a lot of stuff. He stands in the gap, um, and in, in the, later today, I'm actually recording a podcast about fury, about standing in the gap. Mm-hmm. And he, he fights 
you know, the, the bad things out there in the fringes of the wilderness so that the people of Bree feel safe and the Shire feel safe. You know, he's out there on the fringes engaging in battle so that the people who are behind him never even know or appreciate what he does. Which brings to mind another question for me. Um, because I think as, as men and, and as husbands and as fathers, we look and we say, well, I, I do all this stuff. You know, I, I clean up around the house or I do this stuff out in the yard or I engage, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing a deeper heart. And there comes a time when, when we're, I think, I don't know about you, I get frustrated because I was like, I want somebody to notice that I've, you know, I've transformed it. Like I, I put up myself out on the battle lines and look at what I've done. Like I know what I've done. And there's this certain part of me that wants to say, don't you know, like, you know, to your, your, your children or your wife or your, you know, the people that you're working with and like, look at, look at what I've done. But uh, sort of, uh, I just wanted to kind of toss that up to you. That idea of fighting on the fringes of a battle that nobody else is even knowing that's being fought. Yeah. And I think we often have to be curious about uh, why we're fighting the battles that we're about that we're fighting. Yeah. He's a reluctant King is what he is. I mean, like there, there's something inside him and he realizes that he's made to fight. Mm -hmm. And so he's doing it, but he's doing it undercover. He's doing it in hiddenness because many of us are very afraid of our glory. We're very afraid that there's something deeply powerful about us. But if we bring that to the forefront and to the geography that it's intended, that somehow will fail. So it's, it's so much easier to fight, you know, small battles on a small scale and be frustrated by that small story that we're living in. Because actually what we know is that um, we're made for more. It's like little children playing with guns, you know, hopefully we, we want to grow up, but we always have the doubt that when we do grow up and uh, move on to a, a battle scene that matters, we won't have what it takes. So I, I just see that so much in Aragorn and it actually reminds me of Jesus just reluctantly. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know that I want to turn the water into wine right now. Cause that's going to get the ball rolling, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, that's the turning point. Everything's yeah. going to be different. And Aragorn has that moment in this movie. And I thought I had the clip, but I don't see it. It's a really short one where he's, he's looking at the shards of Narsal, which are, which were mm -hmm. not just his father's sword, but his ancestor's sword. It goes back thousands of years. They say, you know, Elrond yeah. says, I remember the day Sauron fell like 2,500 years earlier, which is when that sword that his ancestor carried was broken. And he looks at it and he knows, I think he knows it's time to take it up but he's hesitant because of the weak. He says, I carry that same blood. I carry that same weakness. And it's Arwen who then says, that's, you're going to face the thing, but you're going to accomplish it because you're not who he was. You're not who, in, in this case, you know, you're not who your, your physical father was. You're stronger than that. And I just think that that moment there between Arwen and Aragorn was a beautiful moment of, beauty speaking to strength yes and calling out the man that he was destined to become 
I think we all at some point, maybe it's in our childhood, maybe it gets lost, but every once in a while we're staring at what could be our future and we're just terrified. <laughs> yes. We're, we're totally terrified because we're actually living in the past and the shame of the past and we're living in the fear of the future. And in that moment, what I love about that moment, and that's one of the moments of the story that after Jesus invited me to go back and look at it again, I, I just broke down into tears because I said, you know me, God, this has been my whole life is staring at my desire to play a significant role in a story, but just the fear that um, looking at my weakness, looking at my family's weakness, that there's no way that I could rise and I could become that. So I, at that point in my life, I was already anticipating that in, in my own story with my, with my children, with my wife, that inevitably I would fail them and yeah. that I would end up by myself, you know? So staring at the, the sword for Aragorn was very much like me staring at, at my home standing outside the driveway, looking at it and going, I can't do this. I can only carry it so far, but eventually um, this legacy of goodness that I want to bring and raising a family that plays a significant role in the story that you're writing, God, I just don't think I can do that. And so it had me paralyzed mm -hmm. and it was, I, I just feel so much that Arwen is the Holy spirit and Arwen is always casting a vision she, she's, she's turning your attention away from what you've been and from your past and turning your attention toward who you, you truly are yeah. and inviting you to believe in it. And I, I fully agree. It makes me think of Robert E. Lee. I was listening to a biographer about the civil war and Robert E. Lee, you know, he loved the United States. He loved the vision of it, but his real passion was for Virginia. And, and the biographer just basically said there was no way that Robert E. Lee was going to leave what he loved, uh, Virginia, because he was just so taken with her beauty. Um, and he was going to fight for that. And I just thought for some reason that's really stood out to me all my life that you will fight for what you love most. Mm. And if I, if I'm, if I have a vision of myself that's been given to me and I bravely look at it and I go, oh, okay, I would be willing to give up everything for that beautiful invitation that I've received. I just think many men haven't received the invitation uh, to look at themselves as God sees them. And the moment that they hear his revelation of what they are, even if it doesn't make sense, even if they initially want to reject it if we have the courage to embrace god's vision of us then there's nothing 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 more powerful to get us to pick up the sword and start fighting for it than that that's just that's a great i love that whole concept of the that we're going to fight for what we love we're gonna fight for mm -hmm. what's beautiful and beauty calls us to strength you know when when you look at john eldridge's book Wild at heart. When you look at Stacey Eldridge's book, Captivating, those two work together, strength and beauty, as we call out that those, those, I don't even want to say the, the, the identity of each other. And later in the movie, beauty comes to rise again, because in the minds of Mariah, Gandalf falls and the mm -hmm. group is mourning. The group is in grief. And when they get to, um, 
Lothlorien. Then when the elves find out about Gandalf falling, then there's grief yet again. But what's most noted about the the woods of Lothlorien and even uh, Lady Galadriel is her beauty. And beauty comes to bear again in soothing grief. And I think a lot of times for us, we when those moments come when, you know, as, as this, you know, Gandalf, you know, there's a line, I think, in the book where he's like, I don't, Gandalf didn't see this happening either. Otherwise, probably he wouldn't have done this. <laughs> where you're sitting in that moment of, I thought, I didn't think this was going to happen. I thought this was going to, to end differently. I thought we were going to have a different result. Because when we do pick up the mantle, when we pick up the sword and we embrace that identity and we move forward into it, well, guess what? That's opposed because we have an enemy. You know, and they describe Sauron as full of cruelty, malice, and a desire to control all life. And when we are stepping into who we are as sons of God, then it's true that some that failure, I don't want to say failure, because failure is just, it's a external uh, score, an external grade. And we know that Gandalf fell, but he'll, he would come back. But in those moments of grief, where we do have to grieve what was lost, that beauty comes to the rescue again. And I think it's, and those were sort of the two moments where beauty really came to the scene, came to the rescue. And I think beauty can be a rescue. And, and it's hard to see because we look down, we look down at our feet. Uh, we look down at our strength um, because we'll, we'll kind of white knuckle it and try to get ourselves, you know, pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps sort of thing, which never made, that's a saying that doesn't really even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we do need to be open and receptive to the beauty that's around us and being offered to us. Yeah. Beauty is uh, way more powerful than I knew. And I, and I think a lot of men discount beauty because especially in our Western culture, um, we don't appreciate art. We don't appreciate opera. I'm living in Texas, and I think Texas is like number fifty in <laughs> in government uh, supported art. You know what I mean? Like Texans, <laughs> for the most part, what's what's art? Well, it's you know, it's up on a wall covered with fur, and it's got antlers on it down here in Texas. <laughs> um, but art is amazingly powerful, and it's so it just really makes sense that our enemy would distract a man and compromise that really essential stage of, uh, of our masculine journey. That at some point we would fly way too quickly out of um, teenage, being a teenager or early adulthood into being overwhelmed with responsibility and go into the hidden years without taking that trip to Europe you know, mm, or, yeah. or going to Colorado, you know, many men don't find the poet or the, the artist or the lover in them. And I don't mean that simply in terms of the female, but they don't, they don't find that until their thirties or their forties. And they're actually near a midlife crisis. And they, and they, they realize that they just don't really appreciate the beauty in the world that much. But the great Kings are the Kings that love what they're fighting for. You know, and they don't love themselves. If the poet doesn't develop in, in, in us, then then we actually love ourselves and we don't love, you know, the things that we're fighting for. 
um, boy, it's, what an important stage. And one of the things that I loved in the book, and you can only see little glimpses of it in Aragorn, is that he's actually got like gold and silver thread that's weaved through his grubby clothes. And it's in, it's in the form of these little flowers, you know, and you really have to read in the book, but he's got these little pictures of beauty woven through his garments that you really have to look closely to see. And there's something that just spoke really deeply years ago in that. And that God says, you really need to discover beauty in order for you to become, you know, what I've created you to be, you have to study it. And I think, you know, in, in kind of moving to the other, one of the other themes that, that you had mentioned, because when we look at the importance of beauty and how beauty soothes grief and sort of speaks to our strength and our identity, but there's a, there's a, a line and it's almost a throwaway line in the beginning of the movie where they're talking about the history of the one ring. And it says some things that should not have been forgotten were lost and history became legend and legend became myth. And I thought that, it, like you just mentioned, as, as young men growing up, and even if, even if you could be an old, you can be a young man in an old man's body. So, but as young men grow up, they, they associate um, certain things with masculinity, what it means to be a man, what it means. It could be, you know, the, the adrenaline chasing adventures. It could be, you know, going out and getting drunk or getting laid or all these things that, that society sort of paints. This is what masculinity looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's very, you know, the machismo, uh, focus, but, uh, and I'm going to actually play a clip because in this current cultural environment that we're in this, this whole idea of toxic masculinity has come up and this idea almost that men are what's wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. And Elron actually says that as, as he's, he's kind of, he and Gandalf are talking and they're like, well, you know, what's going on. This we have to deal with the ring. We have the one ring. It has to be destroyed. And who's going to do it? This peril belongs to all middle earth. They must decide now how to end it. The time of the elves is over. My people are leaving these shores. Who will you look to when we've gone? The dwarves? They hide in their mountains seeking riches. They care nothing for the troubles of others. It is in men that we must place our hope. Men? Men are weak. The race of men is failing. The blood of Numenor is all but spent. It's pride and dignity forgotten. It is because of men the ring survives. It should have ended that day, but evil was allowed to endure. Isildur kept the ring. The line of kings is broken. There's no strength left in the world of men. A scattered, divided, leaderless. There is one who could unite them. One who could reclaim the throne of Gondor. He turned from that path a long time ago. He has chosen exile. I think that clip, one of the reasons I picked it and kind of condensed it down to, to a manageable bite was he talks about the world. Men are the reason that this ring still exists, that the evil is still present. 
And I think there is a uh, undercurrent of that mindset in many, much of society, and at least in a, in American society, of men are what's wrong with the world. Because look at these men who have had power, have had the the abilities, and they've used it to oppress people. They've used it to hurt people. They've used it. They've taken advantage of of those who are supposed to be under their care, who are they supposed to be looking out for. And I think that that's, it's really easy to get into, you know, and I've, I've even read a book several years ago is of, and I can't remember the exact title, but is there anything good about men? <laughs> because it's easy to throw out sort of the baby with the bathwater and say, wow, look at these examples of men who have gone wrong, men who have, lost the way who have used misused their power. And, but I thought it was interesting. And in, in, again, at the end, we're coming back to Aragorn because Gandalf says there's one who could take the throne and he's talking mm-hmm. about Aragorn and Elrond mm-hmm. dismisses. He's like, yeah, he, he is, but he's in exile. He's chosen exile. And I think a lot of times we look at that, you know, going back to that idea of history becomes legend, legend becomes myth. When we look back at the Bible and the gospel, we look back and say, well, there's one who could save us, right? And, and a lot, I think even a lot of Christians say this when they're looking back. Well, yeah, but we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And until then, then it's just going to kind of suck. But mm-hmm. we're because we look at him as a king in exile, a king who's hidden, a king who's not really doing much, when in reality, he's passed on his authority and his power through us so that we as men, as men of God, as sons of God can bring heaven to earth as our role. And that's what, as they go to the council and, and as Aragorn, I think begins stepping into his identity, we see him bringing that leadership and that power and that strength, even in the middle of his doubts. Yeah. He's, uh, he's essentially forced into it, uh, you know, in, in these incremental steps through the story. And I mean, unfortunately that that's the way that we all either find or abandon our, our true identity is, is to come face to face with those crossroads. And we either choose the less traveled path, the one where we begin to be more and more unlike anyone else on the planet, but more and more like who God created us to be, or we take the broad road. Right. And what's fascinating <clears throat> is that really the problem with humanity, and I would say masculinity as a whole, is we just simply don't have a vision for what masculinity is. King Solomon said, without a vision, the people perish. And so you just take the masculine soul, and then you keep casting inaccurate visions of what the masculine soul is. And then what happens, and you can even see this all through society as you read history is that it just goes back and forth. One version of manhood looks like a Viking that rapes and pillages and steals. And yeah, they're innovative. They'll build boats and they'll, you know, cross Arctic oceans and stuff like that. Like, you know, we celebrate and we name sports teams after them, but <laughs> it's uh what what a what a damning picture of masculinity that's celebrated uh, to a degree, um, but then society eventually is done with that, and then the pendulum swings. It goes 
beyond the true healthy vision of authentic masculinity and then it goes to the far extreme which is effeminate you can read that in isaiah chapter three where god basically says look (laughs) you've abandoned me and what's going to happen is all your men are actually going to become like women you'll have nobody to guard your armies you won't have anybody to bring supplies like it's one of the worst curses that can happen to a culture is that the women rule over the men because the men have become in essence effeminate it just goes the 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 pendulum through human history just goes back and forth and back and forth and i um and what i see in aragorn is one of the things that i love that came out a whole lot more in the book than in the movie but you do see it in the movie especially near the end is he's a healer he has this really tender hand and he knows you know how to go and and gather herbs and other things and and there's there's a a healing power and a tenderness that that requires that he be very present to a person. So he's a fierce warrior. Um, you also see him singing at nighttime. So yes. the, yeah, he wrote the, his, he wrote songs. He did. Like he's King David. Like he's <laughs> Jesus. And and what you what you see in Jesus is this man who, in one moment, screams at the Pharisees in front of everybody, and and he's doing it in love. He wants freedom from for everybody, um, but then at the next moment he touches the hand of the guy who's you know got dropsy and and heals his hand, you know, and he speaks tenderly to him and the way that he he not only tells the leper you're healed, but he gives him what the leper most needs, and that's you know the gift of human touch, you yeah. know. So the authentic masculinity is able to operate in in many many realms, which is why a man who's gone through the authentic masculine journey has to become the warrior for a while. He has to be the warrior poet for a while. He has to know what he's, what he loves in order that he can fight and rule well. And he has to come to the point where he actually loves something more than he loves himself. And you see that in Aragorn, not only in Aragorn, but I think in Theoden and some of the other characters that come up too, it's just this beautiful evolution, um, you know, from small story to big story. Well, and that's the, that's the, the inner craving I think that we have as men is, is we want, we don't, as much as we might think we want to be the hero, the, be the, the central figure of the, the, the story. We want mm-hmm. our lives to be the story. Uh, but we, we realize that that story is not big enough. We're never going to be satiated by it. You know, mm-hmm. I, a few years ago, my, my son um, tried out for the basketball team and he, he did, was disappointed that he didn't make, didn't make it and sort of took it internally in some dark places. And so we started talking about the importance of sports. It's like, mm. well, if you had made the team, how satisfied would that have been until you were like, well, I want to play more. And then you start playing more and then you're like, well, I want to start. And then you're starting. Well, no, I need to be the, leading point getter we need to win a championship it's this this ache this hole in our hearts that will never really be satisfied by the story that we're pursuing in this life Mm -hmm. aragorn would never be satisfied simply you know leading people back and forth from Bree to rivendell (laughs) you know he wasn't Mm going to be a tour guide and he couldn't be he had to in order to you know towards the end of the book of the series, the three books, in order to um, become the king, 
he had to go through the tests and the trials and to prove himself worthy. Um, he had to become the character capable of carrying the kingdom, which is a lot of hard K sounds in there. <laughs> yes. Yes. But until yes, he had absolutely. gone through that, right. Then we, you can't handle the pressure of being King until you've handled the pressure of being the warrior of healing of, you know, leading a group of nine people through the wilderness and then at the end of the movie, when it splits in the end of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Sam and Frodo go towards Mordor and Aragorn's torn. Like, do I keep the band together at all costs? Do I go, do we chase after Frodo and Sam and go to Mordor? Or do we go pursue um, Sam or Merry and Pippin who have been captured by orcs and are going to be taken to Saruman, who we haven't talked about, but... Mm -hmm. where you know in, in that moment what does success look like and that's why i don't like the term failure because if we say success is keeping this fellowship together and getting to to mordor well that's not necessarily you could actually be a bad leader by doing that by chasing down frodo and sam in that moment and he and, and you mentioned earlier walking with god and listening to his voice and in this interpretation of the movie, he spends that minute, he, he's quiet. He ponders, is like, well, we can't leave our friends. We can't leave Merry and Pippin in the hands of the orcs going to Saruman and enduring who knows what torture and misery. And so he then says, the fellowship is broken. They are outside our, our care right now. We're, in, in a lot of words, we're ways we're releasing them to God. And we're mm -hmm. pursuing this mission that's in front of us now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all that preceded by the moment where he and Frodo who carry the ring are having that debate, you know, and Aragorn realizes, okay, I am the logical heir and, and I could take this ring and you see, you, you see his very rare character in his tenderness and his yeah. understanding of Frodo, who he knows doesn't have the maturity. I mean, he's just spent the first half of the movie bringing these guys out of the Shire and the, and the prancing pony. And, you know, they don't know anything. No. Um, but, <laughs> but, and he, he realizes I'm not, I'm not the most significant thing in the story, though all data would suggest that I should be the one that goes with Frodo or I should be the one to take it. You know what I mean? So e even in our masculine journey, lots of times we just have to embrace things that don't make sense and trust that somehow in the future, the plan, the story and our character, all of them having been prepared by some uh, higher purpose deity being, um, uh, are, are going to come back together again and it's going to be appropriate. And it's all going to fit together. And so I actually love that moment where he folds mm -hmm. Frodo's hand over the ring and says, I would have gone with you to the end. And then he blesses him and he tells him to go. I'm going to defend you as you escape. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Just a ton of maturity. Because his mission wasn't, it, it's fluid, you know, and, and yeah. being, and a lot of times as, as, leader as a leader 
seeing that of, of like, no, you, we can't break up. You can't break up the band. You know, you can't go your own way. It's like, no, I would have followed you, but this is the right choice because he saw what it had done to Boromir. All right. He saw how the ring had tortured him. And at the closer it got to Mount Doom, the more it would torture and divide the group. And there's, there is an earlier scene talking about division uh, back at the council of Elrond where this, they they're discussing, well, who's going to take it? Somebody has to. And, and this, this rage kind of comes up that I think when we look at the world we live in again, talking about our roles as men and how like Aragorn, can we bring sort of a peace and a, and a strength to it? Uh, Elrond asks, who's going to take it? And I think it, I love the scene because he's like, somebody needs to, and this just, they're, I think it's birds, but in my mind, it's like, yeah, it's just crickets because nobody wants to step up and take it, but they don't also want the other person to take it either. It must be taken deep into Mordor and cast back into the fiery chasm from whence it came. One of you must do this. One does not simply walk into Mordor. Its black gates are guarded by more than just orcs. There is evil there that does not sleep. And the great eye is ever watchful. It is a barren wasteland, riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Not with 10,000 men could you do this. It is folly. Have you heard nothing Lord Elrond has said? The ring must be destroyed. And I suppose you think you're the one to do it. And if we fail, what then? What happens when Sauron takes back what is his? I will be dead before I see the ring in the hands of an elf. in that moment of division and of course i had to play one does not simply walk into mordor (laughs) (laughs) and this great mission that we're being called to right jesus says go out and make disciples of all nations and we're like well and i think we i i think we look at him i look at him sometimes like I, I do not simply walk into Mordor. There's all these things up there. There's all these enemies. There's all these complications and uh, in opposition. And instead of uniting, what happens is I'll be dead before I see an elf carry that ring in division. And, and in, I think the devil dances when he sees us divided. And... Um, and that just and, and towards the end, Frodo finally stands up and says, "I will do it." You know, and it reminded me of of Isaiah six, where the Lord's looking for somebody, and Frodo basically says, "Here am I, send me." And he even says, "I don't know the way." Mm-hmm. And as as followers of Jesus, we can say, "Oh, I'll, I, I don't know the way. I don't know how to get there." You know, he's, he, he, this is his first time out of the Shire and he thought his mission was over only to say there was really only one person that could do it. And that was him because everybody else would have been 
divided and would have would have doubted and questioned. And when he says, when Frodo says, I will take it, immediately people gather around him. Aragorn, who Legolas had just said, this is the high king. He's He should be ruling Gondor. And Boromir's like, Gondor doesn't need a king. Who is this guy, this ranger from the west? But immediately Aragorn goes and kneels before Frodo and said, you have my sword. And Legolas says, and my bow and, and my axe. Right. And, and because when you have somebody who's willing to say, here I am, send me. Then I think God provides the support. He provides the fellowship to walk with you through, to get you to where you need to go. Because Frodo doesn't get to that moment at the end where he and Sam go off towards Mordor. He doesn't get to that point without the fellowship along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had years to think about this and you know, Frodo's strength was really his childlikeness. Mm. I mean, that's the thing that made him, he was even referred to described by people in the story as he will appear no more than a child to your eyes. And who would have known his resiliency against the power of evil and that it's childlikeness. And there's something spiritually that's very powerful about that reality because time and again, In prophecy in the Old Testament, uh, there's this foretelling that a child will lead them. And his imperviousness to the enemy and his schemes is the exact same thing. It's that, that Jesus was the most childlike before his father. I praise you, Father, for you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Only I know the Father, and the Father knows me, and I can reveal him to those that I choose. I mean, like that really is the key to authentic masculinity, is that you become a child that trusts the most fully in your Father, and you just enter into that childlike state. And uh, so just thinking, you know, in that council where all these people, you know, these macho men are they're having those arguments and it's the childlike one who comes forward and humbly says, I, I I'll do it. I mean, I've carried it a little way and I'll, I'll just keep doing it, but I don't know the way I, I need some help. And I was just watching the latest ver- series um, episode of the chosen last night. If you've been watching those stories about Jesus, they're incredible. And uh, at one point he's walking on the road and he's explaining to Peter who's full of piss and vinegar (laughs) and he wants to, he wants to be the leader and he's trying to organize the pecking order among this growing number of disciples. And and to hear Jesus say, I've chosen every single one of you for a very particular reason, even though Matthew's really weird, he's going to play a role in this story that nobody else can. And someday you will, but you're just not ready. None of you are ready for it yet. And it, you know, it seems a fitting parallel for what we get to see through this epic story is that nobody's ready for it quite yet, but the Hobbit is the most ready for it precisely because he's a child. Right. And he's not um, susceptible to the bigger um, issues and divisions that will come of between the races. And it, it was interesting that they all responded of with support and mm-hmm. following. And then his, his uh again Mary and Pippin show up and they said well you've got to let us go and um 
I gotta I gotta read that one because this one the line doesn't actually come up. So they're they're up to seven. They want nine. And Elrond says, There remain two more to be found, said Eldron. These I will consider. Of my household, I my I may find some that it seems good to me to send. So he's thinking strength in arms. Again, the the machismo, the strong, the mighty. And Pippin says, But that will leave no place for us. We don't want to be left behind. We want to go with Frodo. That is because you do not understand and cannot imagine what lies ahead, said Elrond. Neither does Frodo, said Gandalf, unexpectedly supporting Pippin. Nor do any of us see clearly. It is true that if these hobbits understood the danger, they would not dare to go. But they would still wish to go or wish that they dared and be shamed and unhappy. I think, Elrond, that in this matter it would be well to trust rather to their friendship than to great wisdom. And I think there were times that Gandalf regretted supporting Pippin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fool of a took. But as you watch the story develop, you know, it, it, it's not in the strength of this world. As you just said, it's not in the wise. It's not in the strong. It's in those childlike. And what Pippin says is, my friend is going. My brother is going. I mean, they were, they were, they were close like brothers, like family. He's like, no, I want to go. I, and as, even as Gandalf said is, even if he didn't, he wished that he would have. Because he, we all have this question of, can I, can I be there when the road gets dark? Can I be there? Can I make it through? And each one of them, Pippin and Mary, had a powerful role to play in this story. Mm-hmm. As we'll talk about in the two towers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they go along and, and sort of to, to wrap up our conversation um when frodo does get to see uh does get to lothlorien and see galadriel and she talks about the role that he has to play and and what happens if he doesn't i know what it is you saw for it is also in my mind it is what will come to pass if you should fail I cannot do this alone. You are a ring bearer, Frodo. To bear a ring of power is to be alone. This task was appointed to you. And if you do not find a way, no one will. Then I know what I must do. It's just... afraid to do it. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. I disagree with Galadriel because we're never alone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and indeed, if that was true, if we were completely alone, that would be horrible. But not only we, we've got Christ in us, the hope of glory, got God with us, who will never leave us or forsake us. But he also puts the fellowship around us. He puts the brothers around us. And sometimes, as Frodo will discover, it's one is enough. You know, we all need our Sam. And in this mm-hmm. case, Sam, I, and I think we'll talk more about him in probably one of the next ones, mm-hmm. uh, he needs his Frodo. Like, Sam doesn't become who he was meant to be without Frodo uh, 
his love for Frodo pulling him along on this adventure. But we, the, the big part of this is we all have a role to play. And if we don't do it, no one will. And I think we focus many times on the roles that look good, the roles that people would want. And, um, but it's the roles that matter most that are, I think, the most unseen. As we've been talking about with Aragorn, the years of fighting evil in the wilderness trained him for what he was about to do. And the roles that we have as men is not to lord over those sort of under our care, those we've been assigned to uh, care for and look after, those whose hearts have been put in our care. But, you know, for me, it's, I, I always think of no one else can husband a, my wife. No one else can father my children. As a man, you know, in now in my mid-40s, that's my priority, even above rising at work or getting promotions at work or, or, you know, doing these, going on amazing trips or doing this or that, you know, even ministry. Cause I think ministry can be a big, uh, uh, a siren, a seductress because we can, I remember hearing somebody say, if somebody works 60 to 80 hours a week, we call them a workaholic. But if they're in a ministry and doing that, we call them devoted to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm but we're missing the assignment that we've, we've been given that may not always look like the one that we want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much my story. Um, I was in ministry up in Kansas city, working for a mega church and helping bring some healing to a ministry that had had some tough years. And I was putting in 60, 70 or more hours a week. And I remember looking back with my new wife, at the time and realizing we've only eaten dinner together like two nights this month. Oh, wow. And we were celebrated, patted on the back by everybody. And to a young man looking for affirmation and for validation, it's addictive. It's a narcotic and nothing felt better. And yet at the same time, I realized there I'm, I have no idea how to prepare my home. I was actually terrified for a couple of years of, of getting pregnant. We kept having the, the conversation about having children. And I said, no, I, I, I don't want to. And it was because I was terrified of bringing, of enlarging my kingdom, yeah. you know, and, uh, boy, that I had to actually leave that environment the Lord called me out of the ministry. He said, this is actually the most unhealthy place that you can be. And he had to put me in hiding uh, kind of down in Texas for several years working for my father. Um, you know, I, I just picture Jesus building Roman roads as a Mason, you know, which is what he was probably far more likely than a carpenter. He was just a craftsman and thinking of all those years that he was just, you know, serving and being prepared for the day that the father would finally coronate him for his earthly ministry in the Jordan river and send him off. You know, like we, we all have to, to go through that, but yeah, our, our, um, man, if you're not a good husband, you'll never, you, you, if you're not, if you don't bloom in the small kingdom that you're called, you'll never be a good and noble seed to be planted in a much larger story. I love, I've been 
sort of sitting with that, that thought of being a seed and how seeds, mm-hmm. um, they, they are hidden for sometimes for years. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is that the seed has to die before the fruit will grow, before the tree will grow. And those things that we, we hold on to the tightest, I, I like, I would imagine your ministry, you're like, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm finally doing what God made me to do. But that part of you had to die so that you could become the man that God actually made you to be, not the one you thought you were, but the one he actually had in mind so that you could have the greatest impact on, on your wife and your children and, and now in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the hardest. Oh yeah. And best decisions I'd ever made. And it felt like death. Yeah. But I had tasted real death and I thought to keep going in this direction will produce more death. And eventually my lack of character or what I just see as my shortcomings without even knowing what they really were, being able to identify them, I realized that they were going to start having an impact on other people. And um, I was like, I, I just can't, I can't risk that. So yeah, it's worth it for me to give up what feels like life, go into hiding and give God some time and I thought it was going to take six months. I, I swear. I thought I was going to be out of ministry for six months working in my dad's workshop. And it ended up being 12 years. But I was a very different man coming out of that. And I actually reluctant to move back in. You know, it's really interesting that the mark of maturity in a man for power is his reluctance to take it. Yeah. I, I just think I think that's in every man who finally is ready because they understand the weight of what's about to happen. You, you even see that in like, as you were describing with the hobbits, they didn't know what they were getting into. So they jump into it and it's trial by fire. Yeah. And we'll see that with Aragorn as we hopefully continue through this series. Yeah. I, yeah. I pushed you enough on this, on this one to, to say, Hey, come on back. We, I want to do the two towers and then we'll do the, the return of the King. And um, they're all gold. They're all so good. So if you haven't, go watch it. Watch Aragorn specifically, um, both in how he's been hidden for years in preparation for this assignment. And even this assignment will end up, you know, Aragorn's lived a hard life. He's lived on the fringes. He's lived in the wilderness. His, the, there's a, a really a, a lot bigger story with him and Arwen where she gives, because the elves were immortal. They don't die. They just go over to the gray havens and she gave up his, her spot so that she could live this life with Aragorn and Elrond was not pleased about that as any father would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole other story about becoming the man deserving of, in, in this case, in, of Elrond's daughter of this is in Elrond set these as, as in these fairy tales they do, they set these, well, here's, here's your champion's quest. You have to, be the king of Gondor and Aragorn knew he wasn't ready. And so then he goes mm-hmm. through the process. So I guess my, my question for the guys and, and any women listening would be where, where are you in that process? Where are you being called to maybe put aside those things that feel like death? Where are you being asked to pick up the crown where, where in an, an authentic way? not in a chasing way, but one that, that God's saying, no, 
it's time. Just like Jesus with the water and the wine of if once I do this, there's no turning back. Mm -hmm. Those are such good questions. And one more thing to point out about Aragorn that I love is that he really started as an orphan. He was raised not by his own family, but by the elves, you know, so his preparation began in the very beginning. So going back and just studying the evolution of his story really gives us incredible hope. That's why I love, love, love <laughs> this movie so much is that you can start off as an orphan and you can dabble in the truth. You can be aware of your, your identity um, but trusting in it, these key, key moments, like the ones that you're inviting them into through these great, great questions that I've wrestled with myself is that you can become so much more than you ever thought possible, you know, but it takes a lot of trust and it takes a lot of courage yes. and the enemy's not near so big as you think <laughs> if you can find that inside you. Yeah. Well, Jay, thank you for, for coming on the podcast. Um, I appreciate your time and, and your insight and you sharing your story. Ah, so it was a real privilege. Loved it. Love what you're doing. This is, this is an amazing uh, little niche venue here for, for men to get in touch with their hearts. So keep doing it. Well, thanks. And uh, so this has been Paul McDonald and Jay Heck talking about the fellowship of the ring. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you join us next time here on the men at the movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Yeah.